RMIT University acknowledges the people of the Wuwurrung and Bunwarang language groups of the Eastern Kulin nations on whose unceded lands we conduct business of the university. RMIT University respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past and present. RMIT also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where we conduct our business. is worth saying from me at the moment. So I think that's why I feel like I have to be a little more vulnerable or try and find like ideas that I'm probably way more scared of than just kind of writing about like exploitation from a global perspective. Before I begin this podcast, I want to give you a bit of background as to what it's going to be about and what motivated me to make it in the first place. So at the beginning of 2020, I joined the First Sight RMIT committee and was so excited because it seemed like it was going to be a really great opportunity to work with a diverse team of people and understand what it means to work in an art space as well. My practice usually resides within exploring Asian-Australian diasporic identities and I've always been really passionate about providing a platform for diverse narratives. And then as you all know, 2020 COVID-19 happens and it's so intense. Um, The way we work, the way we connect, the way we understand the world totally changes and first sight along with most other um, gallery spaces and everything else closes um, and it's really hard. I spend a few months really struggling with this and you know feeling really disconnected disconnected and lonely and demotivated really because you know this great opportunity that I'd, I had had at the beginning of the year just almost felt like it was going to fall apart. I wasn't able to see my um, my fellow committee members anymore and it just felt really difficult to exist in the world at the time. And so after, you know, a couple months of wallowing and and trying really hard to stay afloat, I decided to reach out to my community and find a way to connect with people that I wasn't able to connect with anymore because of COVID-19 and I wanted something that was accessible and easy and you know something that would distract me I guess in a way from all the rest of the horrible things that were happening to the world at the time and it seemed like a podcast was going to be the perfect way to do that and from creating this podcast I was able to talk to so many people that I normally wouldn't have and have learnt so many new skills during COVID lockdown and I have had such a great time doing all of this and understanding myself in a way that I wouldn't have been able to if I was to maybe present a public pla- a pub- 
public program in a physical physical way. This project is a manifestation of this entire year and finding who I am and connecting with my Asian Australian community and trying to stay afloat. So I do hope you like it. My first guest is the lovely Margot Morales Tanjuko, who is a comedian, director, writer, artist, and much enthusiast. She graduated from RMIT University with a Bachelor of Communications in Media and has also exhibited within our very own First Sight Gallery. I sit down with her today to talk about moving to Australia from the Philippines and how her creative practice has helped her navigate life authentically and with a little bit of humour. Um, I'm Margot. I'm a writer, performer, comedian, sometimes kind of media or multidisciplinary artist. And I usually write work that's sometimes autobiographical, but a lot of it is stuff that I do perform myself. Um, So it's very much kind of focused on me, um, I'd say. So it's always like the world through my life, my eyes, whatever. (laughs) What was it like growing up as a creative person in the Philippines? Yeah, um, I, well, I, because I spent like the first 10 years of my life in the Philippines, you know, I'm kind of surrounded by, like, people have this weird obsession with, like, celebrity-dumb and, like, being a singer, an actor, slash model, slash whatever, and that's kind of a thing, um, but in saying that, that was very much a far away thing for me. Like I dreamt of it, but I didn't necessarily tell anybody. Um, and I didn't do anything about it for like 11 years until I got here. Um, so it's just been like this. I've just always known that I was going to be on stage. I like wanted to be somebody. Um, and I've just always known that really deeply. I've always fantasized about it, dreamt about my life in the future. Um, even though I had not told anyone and had made absolutely no, like anything around it. Like I didn't take dance lessons or singing lessons in the Philippines. Well, not really. Um, I took ballet once, didn't even let me do the concert cause I was so bad. Um, not that that deterred me whatsoever. Um, but it was just always this thing that I knew. I don't know where it came from. I think it's just all the movies that I'd seen, really, um, which weren't even musicals. It's just like you're just exposed to like all this Disney stuff and all these like TV shows and like Nickelodeon. And I was I'd always been like, oh, I want to do that. I'm going to do that. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it. And then when I got here, I would like look through the newspaper to find an acting school and then a dance school. And that's how I got into the, the places that I studied at when I was in primary school and early high school. And then I kind of just kept going from there. I just kept taking singing, dancing, acting lessons throughout high school, um, did extra shows outside of high school as well. Um, as well as like the high school musicals and stuff. And that's kind of like my early training. And that got really encouraged 
in high school for me. Um, I had some really great teachers who knew about the musical industry because that's kind of that was the first place I wanted to make it so called, um, which like was like musical theater. And so I did a lot of training towards that. Um, and I had some really good teachers in high school who really encouraged me and knew about the music theater industry because they'd worked professionally in it. Um, so that was a really big kind of glimpse into what life as a working artist could be like as a working performer. Um, and then it took a few years to kind of discover comedy and theater that wasn't necessarily musical theater. But by the time that I had, I'd already like had done all this training. So I could just kind of switch gears into something that I felt even more comfortable with, like cabaret and comedy. Um, yeah, so that was a good kind of thing like cool I did my training for music theater I wasn't for me but then I stepped into something that I found was more suited to me and that I felt a lot better in and I was already more than kind of ready to get into it so that was cool and so was a lot of this supported by your parents or is it kind of was it kind of like a self-motivated thing I know that my parents have they don't really know what I do and I think that they support me because I'm working on something. But, I mean, when I was younger, it wasn't really the career choice that they had picked out for me either. Um, I don't, I mean, I mean, gosh, you know, who was paying for these lessons? Not me. It was them. Um, who was driving me these things? Definitely them. Um, they didn't, I don't think they really got what it was, which I think I hear from a lot of performers or POC performers is like they don't know what it is and they're but they're kind of just like chugging along um but I was always like really autonomous about it like I'd always been the one who you know who found who found which schools to go to and then when I was old enough maybe like year 10 um I started going to the city and just going to the city by myself to like go to shows and go to dance class and stuff um so yeah it was always kind of just like something that I thrust upon them that they just went along with. In moving to Australia when you were about 10 years old, you would have been old enough to understand that it was going to be quite a significant change in your life. And I wonder if you encountered any particular challenges or struggled to adapt to this entirely new place. No, I know I have a few family friends who moved from the Philippines to Australia around the same time I did as well. And they had a harder time adjusting. Um, but I was like, so ready. I was like, ready to get out of there. And again, it goes into this weird thing that I had as a kid, where I just knew I was gonna like, get out of there. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, I think back on it every now and then. And I'm just like, I like I kind of expected to like just do what I wanted to do in the future and moving to Australia whilst I definitely cried because I would miss really my grandma and like this TV show I was watching at the time that was kind of all I had to miss um I was a very like lonely child I didn't have a lot of friends really um so I think I was like happy to cut my losses and go somewhere else when you did move, did you experience any sense of loss or did you feel any sort of sadness, I guess, in leaving behind, in essence, your entire life in the Philippines? Mm. Um, I think it's more recent, the losses, now that I'm a bit more grown up 
or think I am because I really feel that like, oh, like I miss my grandma and I know that she's super sad that like I haven't been around as much because I'm like the oldest grandchild. Um, and I was like the first, her, like her first grandchild and like, it was her birthday recently and we were FaceTiming and she was just crying. And I was like, I know, like, it's really sad. And like, when I went to the Philippines to visit, like, she'd always want to be around me all the time and she'd always kind of cry. And then she was just like telling me that like, she felt really, really like sad that I was like, uh, like gone all the time and stuff like that and like her, all her other friends had their grandchildren and I like really appreciated how honest she was about it um and just being like yeah I mean she's also like she's a Virgo like me she's very straightforward <laughs> she'll just tell you how it is um but that made me like kind of realize exactly how much I miss like her in particular and like that that wider sense of like blood family um because like i you know i hung out with some of my cousins who were my age and they were lovely and it's like it's a really i don't know it's i'm not gonna say it's a different bond but there's like a different feeling about it when you know they're like your family and like i could see like my mom really like happy that she's like back with like her her siblings really um, and like all her aunties and stuff. So yeah, that's been on my mind lately as I kind of like, cause I didn't visit the Philippines for like, for like the whole time until last year. So, and that never bothered me before until I did finally go back. And now I want to go back every year. So I think that's like a big change has happened within me <laughs> um, in that space of time. Another question I had relating to family was that because you are openly queer, has this ever created any boundaries between you and the rest of your family? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's just, it's very much like, don't, you don't ask about what you don't want to know. Like they don't want to know this and like, they're not going to even think about it. And that's basically it. And I'm not going to bust that open because I'm living here with them. And I cannot be bothered living with that mist around us. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just like I do my thing and then I love you guys. I'm going to go do my thing and then I'll come back home and then they can just. I don't know, they could just think what they think and I will go think what I think. And that's kind of the arrangement. Um, but like I love them and like. We have a lot of similarities and we're getting so much closer during lockdown, which is awesome now that I'm home all the bloody time. Um, but yeah, it's very much like, don't, don't ask what you don't want to know. And like, I don't think they know, they don't know what they don't know either. <laughs> so it's also like, okay, well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> your process when it comes to creating one of your shows and do you think it's changed very much throughout your career um you know what it does not it has not really um I think I'm earlier enough in my career that I'm still kind of developing a process but as for like 
I'm trying to like I've been dreaming of a new solo show at the moment maybe I'll do it for comedy fest next year maybe um but I'm working on a few commissions at the moment which could which could feed into a future show but it's really the same kind of like brainstorming coming up with a title and then forming like ideas around the title and what that could possibly encompass um and because my shows or my solo shows at least are very kind of like different songs different sketches and then different bits of stand-up um it's kind of just like i don't know like an album where you could just go next 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 but there's like kind of an arc to it um so it's kind of like different ideas i've gathered throughout like a few months of just like random notes and on my notebook and on my notes app and randomly recording like voice messages to myself with like random melodies that I've thought of and then when I sit down to write it I just kind of find a way to put them all together and that's kind of it um but with plays it's kind of somewhat similar except now there's a story I guess um but yeah it's kind of it's very kind of random notes and then trying to put them all together and then drafting and drafting and drafting is the rest of it (laughs) you've mentioned in the past how you sometimes hesitate in expressing certain things in your art that talks about the zeitgeist in a certain way or is exploring a certain part of your identity for example that you are nervous about and I I wonder why that's the case. Yeah, I think, oh, the zeitgeist. I think there. I think I'm still trying to understand how I don't know how ethnicity and stories of quote unquote my people um, feeds into the zeitgeist, whilst also being like true to my own artistic like identity. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out how to to how they could meet if they even have to. Um, But I definitely feel, I do feel pressure to like write about it because people are kind of producing it. And I'm like, oh, well, I want my work to be produced. I should probably be writing about this. But it's also like, okay, the other end of that is, okay, but what if I just truly genuinely don't? Like whatever the cause of for that, whether it's shame or fear or whatever, like at the end of the day, like I don't have to write to those feelings if I don't have to. Um, and I shouldn't feel like a pressure to, but yeah, it's kind of just like, do I follow the zeitgeist just for the sake of it? Or should I just write something that actually like whether or not it follows that um and kind of follow and forming my own zeitgeist in a way so if one of our audience members attends your show what are they going to be seeing yeah um so i do a lot of musical comedy um so like different kind of like if you know like crazy ex-girlfriend that tv show where it's a lot of like comedy but through different genres um so i use a lot of like pop and r&b and stuff like that and using the genre to also inform like this the 
the social satire that I want to say. Like, I have a song called Exploitation Pops, and that's just about how we're all complicit in, like, capitalism and exploitation, and it's a super bubblegum pop song because, like, it's super catchy and, like, ex like, capitalism is catchy and you don't think about it. It's just something that's so easy for us all to be a part of. So I use that to kind of inform you know, not just the lyrics but like the music as well so that's the thing that i do plus i do some sketches some stand-up if i have to and yeah that's kind of like my jam in speaking with margot i really appreciated her belief in who she was and how she embraces the questioning that she does with her identity and creative practice I feel like I'm too on this journey of how I want to portray myself to the world, what is really necessary to be said, and to be able to speak with someone that is so authentically herself made me feel like maybe it was okay for me to do that also, and maybe it was okay for me to take some time to really think about what I want to say to the world. And so I hope you at home listening can also be okay with feeling a little bit of trepidation sometimes, and that small progress is still progress. And now to close us up for this episode, here is a snippet of Exploitation Pops. The world is full of awful things that I don't want to think about And full of people doing legal things that shouldn't even be allowed But no, I got my own life, it's got nothing to do with me I just want to chill and suck on my sugar retreats My ancestors weren't even here in 1788 And I'm not in the sweatshops making people work jobs they hate And I'm not running cafes and withholding migrants pay I'm just trying to do my own thing and all of that is far away Unrelatedly